When I was in high school, I was a big fan of Much Music TV, which later became Fuse TV. This was, for all intents and purposes, the Canadian MTV. In the early to mid-2000s, MTV was already kind of veering less into music, more into reality TV, so Much Music, and later Fuse, became my go-to. One of the shows on Much Music slash Fuse was called IMX for Interactive Music Exchange. It only aired from 2002 to 2004, and they tried doing a little reboot later, but whatever. The main show had a fun gimmick. We, the viewers, could buy stock in our favorite musical artists, songs, albums, and other related things. If they did well, why, we could sell those shares to win prizes. I loved this. I thought this was the coolest concept ever as a teenager in high school. Apparently, some of the things we could win were vacations, video game consoles, lithographs. How cool would that be? All we had to do was trade our shares in at the right time, maybe have a little bit of luck, and we'd win that lithograph. But you know what I won? Absolutely nothing. It's probably what I get for buying stocks in brands that weren't super popular, weren't about to become super popular. They're just kind of kind of there on the way out. But even without the glamour of a lithograph or a trip to, I don't know, Horseshoe Bay, this was my first foray into the idea of investing. It wasn't the official stock market and it wasn't real money, but it got my mind wandering about the potential. Fast forward a couple of decades, and I've since learned about all kinds of ways to invest, from music to wine. Of course, real estate investing is a popular option. Who wouldn't want to buy a dilapidated house, put a ton of time and money into renovating it, then act as a landlord to ungrateful tenants who will complain while a mosquito gets stuck in their bathroom and freaks them out while they're brushing their teeth? Wait, that actually sounds terrible. My guest thinks so too, and he's found a much more intriguing way to invest in real estate. Patrick Grimes is the founder and CEO of InvestOnMainStreet.com, a private equity firm that provides tax-shielded and inflation-hedged passive investments and alternative investments. What does that mean? Well, since 2007, which you may remember was right before a massive housing crash, Patrick has purchased distressed real estate assets, renovating and stabilizing them for long-term cash flow. He's raised over $50 million to acquire a portfolio worth more than $600 million, including about 5,000 units in multifamily apartment communities in emerging markets across Texas and the southeastern United States. And because diversification is always important, Patrick also has an energy portfolio that includes over 100 natural gas and oil wells in five locations across five states. We're talking all about how Patrick got into this world, what he's learned along the way, and busting some of the myths about real estate investing. I'm Joey Helm. This is Good People, Cool Things. And here's my conversation with Patrick Grimes. To kick things off, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, but also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Yeah, well, my name is Patrick Grimes. I invest on Main Street. Uh, we do alternative investments and what we call non-correlated assets. That's stuff outside of the stock market. So we help professionals, entrepreneurs, business owners diversify their portfolio out of the traditional 401k and IRA and day trading into other investments that have inflation hedged and are tax advantaged and shielded from interest rate risk and that kind of stuff. Help them retire sooner and and grow their wealth on through retirement. And how did you get into this world? Because I think people are, I mean, I know since I've started investing, short stock market's been sometimes nice, not lately, but uh, sometimes, but looking at alternative investments, I think is always a smart move. So how did, how did you get into that world? 
Well, it started out back in, you know, I graduated college as a mechanical engineer, and I've been kind of a, a geek on that path for a long time. Uh, I, I started doing well, and I was looking for a place to invest. I, I invested in, I got some good advice to do real estate uh, at a really bad time. I lost it all in 2009 and 10 <laughs> because there's very few people actually did all right. You know, I, but, uh, you know, I doubled down in my high tech machine design, automation, and robotics career and did well again. I got a master's in engineering and business, started uh, pulling in some significant sums. And where am I going to invest in? I, you know, I didn't want it all to be in the stock market. I knew that the wealthy use real estate. I just needed to do it better, more resilient, safer, you know, be the tortoise, not the hare, find investments that'll ride out the next bust. And so that's what my journey was. And uh, learn to buy things for cash flow, learn to buy things in recession resilient markets. And uh, it was all, all myself, just doing it on my own because that's just my, was my style. And, you know, I keep my head close to the grinding wheel get my work done, get my investing done. And uh, then ultimately I realized that moonlighting, it was really tough. Uh, so I decided to trade up to larger investments, build a private equity firm, start syndicating using other people's money partnering up with individuals that uh, can help me take down apartment buildings. And that's what led to, we have a little under 5,000 units now, half a billion we've acquired. And also we've done diversified energy funds. We put about 20 million in diversified energy funds over the last, since the last eight months or so. Again, essential need like real estate, tax advantage and inflation hedged and still needed in recession. So helping to diversify. And now we have even cooler stuff coming out. We can talk about it if you're interested. Absolutely. I do want to dive into that, but I need to go back because everyone I've mm -hmm. talked to that has a mechanical engineering background has done, I'd say, ample amounts of tinkering over the years and building mm -hmm. things on their own. So do you have something that you you built, with, even if it was just some, you know, a silly side project or something where you were like, I like that. That was good. Man, I've been I've been tinkering since I was in fourth grade. I built this. I built. I took apart a VCR and, and made a, a fan out of Legos and a balsa wood airplane oh. kit and electronics. Back in college, I won a design competition. Invented this thing called the grill omation. And <laughs> love the name already. <laughs> automated steak barbecuing apparatus cooks to it connects to any home grill, uh, and um, we 3D modeled it, machined it and put it all together, had a microcontroller, thermocouple, and literally you could just plug your steak into it. It's like a Triton, hook it onto your grill and it would press go, tell it how done you want it. It would lower it down, sizzle, time it, rotate it, sizzle, monitor temperature. And then it, when it was done and the steak was perfect, it would lift it up and then beep at you. Oh. It was really neat. It was a lot, I mean, it was a ton of work, a lot of fun, but you know, I've been, I've been doing stuff like that. And then I, my career, was in custom machine design. So I have done, done nothing but in the high tech world, one of a kind inventions. I call it a tinker, right? I would go into rooms with new technologies, whether it's aerospace, EV vehicles, uh, air rockets, Lockheed, Johnson & Johnson medical devices, work with these in crazy intelligent people that have come up with this new gizmo or gadget. And they would come to me to help automate the manufacturing and scale it. So they can make bazillions of them or make things that are too difficult to do by hand. So I, my whole life has just been tinkering in both 
engineering and also in real estate, right? And so I've, you know, I had some bumpy roads on, on both sides, but uh, sharpened the pencil over the years. And now I'm on a pretty strong path. I love it. And I, I to go back to real estate, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people hear real estate investing and they probably think of, of one of two things, of buying a house, renovating it, flipping it, or being a landlord and having, you know, either long-term or or short-term tenants staying with Mm -hmm. them. But you kind of touched on this when you were giving your background that there's so many other kinds of real estate investing. So can you talk about some of those other ones? And if you think, which I'm assuming the answer is yes, based on your portfolio, if there's a particular investment strategy that's the best for building wealth. Well, so uh, what you just said there was climbing the corporate ladder and becoming a landlord. That is the American dream, right? (laughs) (laughs) That is, how could that possibly be wrong? And there can't possibly be anything wrong with that, especially because if you climb the corporate ladder, you're so busy, you have to moonlight your real estate ownership, which was made impossible for me to get married, right? And I was so busy at my high tech job that I just dumped everything in 401k and IRA. So what people don't realize, and if you, Patrick Grimes, Forbes, I write for Forbes and then asset protection and Patrick Grimes, Forbes, you know, single versus multi, you can read these articles where I kind of dismantle that fallacy of the American dream, where what there's familial and social pressures to just climb that ladder and focus 24-7 and idolize these 24-7 workers at these big companies, getting partner as an attorney or as an engineer, or as a doctor. But unfortunately, that kind of removes you from the value and the time it takes to learn how to invest. And you sort of lose that identity of being the investment manager of your life or being the chief investment officer of your family's future. And then you push it off to these financial planners and stuff. The challenge is that the only graduation society gives us on TV that's glamorized is what you're saying. It's become, oh, buy a rental property, right? Or become a flipper. And it turns out I've done it. It's painful. It's also very risky. And you'll learn about that in the asset protection article. It's actually the most risky way to go. There are ways to get all those benefits and be completely out of the stock market uh, which is through what we do, which is private equity. Um, it's syndications where we pool investors' capital together. You can invest in a way where you don't have to take on liability. You don't have to sign on a loan. You don't have to sign on a property. You don't have to be the owner that can be sued or like what took me down is on the loan and the property fell and they came after everything. You, don't have, you can be completely shielded. We can buy apartment building together, but you're a limited partner protected. And you're working with another sponsor, a fund manager like me, but that has decades experience in better markets than you live in and in track record and gets better deals than you have. And so I make an argument that it's far better to diversify. And if you can overcome the control issue where people like want to be a landlord, want to gain control and they they can overcome that and they can, instead of trading their time away, being a, a landlord or a flipper and sacrificing their family, friends, and hobbies and get all those benefits and get in better investments through these securities offerings, which are syndications and private equity in 
what I consider to be the sweet spot is existing construction multifamily, which is large apartment buildings above 80 units. And to further your question, it's we're doing a recessionary acquisition fund. Because right now, we have this engine, it's like 200 grand a year just to find deals. We get like a thousand leads we're sifting through a month. We're getting like 200 deals a month that are viable. We're picking one, one of those, maybe two max a month. There's no way you could ever touch that. You would, and we're going direct to owner. We're finding these, and we're finding deals when we get our capital back in six months to a year. Incredibly discounted recessionary acquisitions. Uh, you could never do that if you're out on your own. But jumping on a bag with us, you get all the benefit. And you even have a preferred return. You make return before us, right? The sponsor. So I, that's what I like to share. And actually, that's part of the TED Talk is that whole that I'm putting together right now is that whole like American dream and the fallacy and actually the risks and trying people to venture out to sort of a non-conventional approach that maybe your mom is not telling you about. But it's hard. It's hard to venture out in that day. I did it. <laughs> But absolutely, good questions. I don't know if my mom ever encouraged me to get into real estate, but I, I, I like the I like the fallacy of it. And you you maybe touched on this a little bit of you're looking for opportunities that will get money back in six months to a year. What else are you looking for when you're evaluating these deals? Because 200 viable ones—that's a lot to go through. Yeah. So. Uh... It right now it turns out to be an incredible time. Back in 2009 and 10, I was just trying to, I was in survival because I, I rode down a piece of land that I had bought and I was trying to get it developed, ready and developed. Uh, so I wasn't able to buy anything. But back then, people were getting very, very wealthy because they were buying incredibly discounted properties. They knew how to find them. They knew how to locate them. And they were cash heavy at the time. Well, this time we have we're much more sophisticated. We, we're in a bunch of deals. We've acquired 26 properties so far, and uh, we structured those to live out recessions, to ride out recessions. So that's we have a strong portfolio, and we have acquisitions capabilities and and management capabilities to take down and investors that are interested. They see maybe their rental properties or real estate portfolio or their stock portfolio decreasing right now and they look over and they're like well how do i benefit from the downturn well if you if you can partner with somebody that can find these crazy good deals where we can buy these properties and we can buy make the return on the acquisition it's very low risk right we're not we're not even buying properties we have to do a bunch of value add improvements renovations to right and then and then we can then 1031 that to the next one and do it again and 1031 that to the next one. You can really get some exciting returns. And so that's, that's that for I mean, if somebody's looking for a way to bounce out a hedge against the downturn, you got to try and figure out a way to get exposure to the people that are winning right now. And uh, those are people that know how to find those deals. So why does, because I'm thinking of just the past I mean, three years of the stock market, basically, since the COVID times, how it was a huge decline right away when the entire world shut down. Mm -hmm. Then a, for a lot of tech stocks, just a huge upshot. I know like Wayfair jumped like 
$80 in a month or something like that, which I know they're not a tech company, but just like, you know, rapid roller coasters for that. And then it's been pretty consistently downhill for the past year or so. And so why is multifamily uh, syndications like this, like such a, a recession proof investment? Like what does it offer that makes it safer than the stock market? Well, there, there's a lot to that, but unpacking it, uh, you know, very gently is the, the stock market is very sentiment driven, right? It's what people want to pay. And there are, there's lots of noise in our world and the news reports and what they choose to put on the news directly affects stocks. And if somebody says, oh, Brexit or it happens, then it's going to affect the perception of the health of the Western world. Bricks now. It's going to affect the perception of the dollar. And so we're going to see some issues, not the actual effect, because if they don't have a currency yet, it is not actually come into effect, but it's already the sentiment-driven stock market. The way people feel is what is trading in the stock market. Now, in real estate, it's very different. There's a We buy properties where people are moving to, net inbound migration lots of people are moving these are these are some of the best places to live they're low cost of living they're tax advantage some of these businesses are moving there too southeastern states and texas so we have the we're buying properties that already exist i've done development before so i don't i don't want to gamble again and hope that the market doesn't fall apart i want to buy something for cash flow right right off the bat so i've covered covered myself and I, so you don't buy for cash flow in the stock market Right. And, and we're buying in places where people are moving. Right. And, and, and you, you can't buy not only you cannot buy for cash, but you can't buy for and 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 buy in a, in a, a tax advantaged location for your stocks. No, you're paying taxes on everything. Right. And our, and our multifamily properties, the cash flow that comes out, you actually get depreciation capacity. You're not paying taxes on cash flow, which you don't have. Then when we go to sell every time you sell a stock. You're going to pay taxes. Well, we'll 1031 exchange you forward, which allows you to trade for without paying taxes. If, 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 there's, a, if, if there's a market change, we have year-long leases. So it's not going to be that the very next day, uh, all of a sudden, you've lost half your capital. If there's a stock, something happens in the stock market, we have six months to a year to strategize and plan if we see slowly declining employment, we can increase marketing, we can play with the rents, we can test different improvement levels. It's much slower, stable. Plus, people don't need stocks to survive. People need housing and they need affordable housing. They need the workforce housing that we produce. And that's only becoming more in demand. New construction isn't keeping up with it. So there's a demand for our housing where people live in, they need that shelter, uh, which simply is really not a demand. There's not an essential need in the stock market. And that's how it can just vaporize overnight. So traditionally, the way that we structure is even in recessions, we structure our investments that even if there's a recession, right? And there's, there's vacancy or people not paying rent, we can still pay our bills because we put enough capital down to get the and the, the, the debt low enough so that we have tons of cash flow, right? So we're still paying our bills. That means your capital is preserved. That means your basis is secured. In the stock market, you invest, you can lose half of it the next day. 
In our deals, what happens is your if, if the cash flow might go down, but your investment still secured because we structure those deals. And then on the other side of that's wave, we can start raising rents again, increasing value. So there's a lot. There's a lot of aggregated benefits. Having seen stocks drop, like lose half their value overnight, like I think that's a very, a very solid point there. And you did mention 1031 exchanges, which is something that I wanted to chat on because that's not something I'm familiar with. I think a lot of people who maybe are dipping their toes aren't, you know, maybe haven't heard the term or hear it, not exactly sure what it is. So, hey, what is that and how can it, it help build wealth? Yeah. So if you really want to get into it, if Forbes 1031 exchange, Patrick Grimes, I got some articles on that as well. But um, the government has said, look, if you own rental property, then you're doing what I need. You're spending money where I need you to spend money. Because I, the government doesn't provide housing in America. They rely on investors to do it. So they, in order to make it attractive, they provide tax advantages. And if you go to sell a property and you get a bunch, you get a big win, right? Where are you going to put it? Well, they want you to put it back into real estate. And so they're going to incentivize you to do that by if you make a return, like you bought it for a price and sold it for more, you're going to pay capital gains tax on that. But if you do what's called the 1031 exchange, there's some rules and mechanisms by which you do it. It's fairly simple, but you can sell a property and you can take all the profits along with your basis and you can trade it into another like kind investment property. And then you can not pay any capital gains. So I'll let you keep it all, which the 1031 exchange just happens to be the most powerful wealth building tool available to ordinary Americans. Because you can buy a property, the $100,000 property you preach to 150, you can sell it and buy another one that needs some work. Now you're going to do a 50% appreciation again. It's going to go from 150 to 225, right? And then you're going to do it again, 50% appreciation. Now you're above 400, almost 350 grand. So the compounding effects of the 1031 exchange just by doing some simple improvements and trading forward will rapidly grow your wealth. And that's the government. And you can also do it in the energy funds as well, which people don't know. Housing, food, and energy is what the government wants you to spend your money on. So it's not a trick. Tax advantages are not, they they don't have shade on them. People think like, oh, you're not paying taxes, you're evil. Actually, people spending money where the government doesn't want them to spend money is inefficient and ineffective and not productive. That's more evil than spending money where you're housing people, where you're energizing America. That's what they want to reward, and they reward that with tax advantages. There's nothing wrong with those tax advantages, and that's kind of the perception that is perpetuated uh, on the media about tax advantages, but the wealthy the government's doing everything they can to get us to spend money in these tax-advantaged ways to make it attractive. And so jump on the bandwagon. Why not? Hey, gang, I know you're a fan of this podcast, or maybe you're just listening to it for the first time. Either way, I'm happy to have you here. And I want to share another podcast that is absolutely worth checking out. On the Artist's Work Ethic podcast, Mike Pilak interviews people who have found success from across the arts about productivity, habits, and work ethic in their fields. He interviews people such as actor Terry Serpica, screenwriter John August, director Mark Pellington, and musician Ian McKay. 
you dig this podcast, you're going to like that one too. Hear from the artists you watch and listen to as they discuss this important facet of a creative life. You can listen to the artist's work ethic wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Well, don't go listen to the artist's work ethic right now. Finish this podcast first and then go listen to the artist's work ethic. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. And now back to the show. This is maybe a, a little 90 degree shift here, but we were talking a little bit before we started recording of how you're working to get your name out there, build your own personal brand, which I think obviously you're tied to your company, but you're an individual. <laughs> like you have your own, you know, your own thoughts, your own opinions and everything. So how have you worked to, and, and maybe the answer is you haven't, maybe you've tried to stay closely connected to things, but distinguishing invest on main street from Patrick Grimes. When it comes to the finance, financial industry, specifically investors placing capital. Like we work with accredited investors, 100,000 minimums. And when they're coming to place an investment, they typically are looking for who, who they're investing with. And that is, there's some truth that before they think what, what it is. I mean, and, and it was funny you say this because I was just, I, I'm writing a, an article for the Wall Street Journal. And, and I was actually in the same hotel room yesterday. Um, talking to the editor about the idea of how when I first started in the real estate game, I was so focused on the features. I was trying to sell the product. I was trying to sell invest on Main Street's tax advantaged cash flow income. Here's your cash on cash return, all this stuff. But the reality is that wasn't speaking to the needs and wants and desires of the person. And it wasn't giving them the ability to know, like, and trust me this person with their retirement funds, their college, their kids' college funds with their hard earned dollars. Right. And so I actually went from uh, being somewhat successful, uh, doing a lot of one-on-one calls and talking about the mechanics of the deals, talking about the features of the deals and how they, you know, to actually having writing articles about my story. Uh, getting on podcasts, talking about how I lost it all, how the grind of high tech career was a struggle and, and the lessons that I learned along the way and trying to throw a better path. And so it has actually become a lot more about the person, me, than it originally was. Uh, and once I started doing that, it was a friend of mine that said, hey, look, you got to get out there because I actually didn't do a single stage. I'm here in Dallas talking on a stage right now. Um, I just did this morning. It was awesome. It was like 600 people. I, I, I didn't do a single stage. I didn't do a single podcast. I, we have a best-selling book out. I didn't write a book, but I had, I had purchased thousands of units, raised a lot of money from people, but it had been a grueling slog. It wasn't until that I actually got myself out there. I got out of my shell, the engineer, head to the grinding wheel. I got away from that. I said, look, let me just be vulnerable put myself out there. I was some really good friends gave me that. And that's when the company started to scale. When that happened, I gave the opportunity for them to see my journey, understand and feel and relate, and then build that trust by seeing me out there on other people's stages on other people and other people's podcasts, understanding how they could see themselves moving forward. And, and sort of that blending of the two is, is really what scaled the company. 
do you have like a pre-speaking ritual or a routine that you go through? Because you said you were speaking to 600 people this morning. I, I think back of the old Jerry Seinfeld bit where public speaking is a bigger fear than death, meaning that if you were at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. And I think hearing you're speaking in front of 600 people, I'm sure some of the people listening are like, absolutely not, can't do it. But I think you can. I think I think there's there's ways to kind of overcome stage fright or whatever you might have. So do you have something where you're like, oh, if I'm feeling a little nervous, this helps calm me down, can get out there and rock it? Well, a couple of things. You're absolutely right. I actually, I mean, I'm a, I took a public speaking class in college and I remember me too. <laughs> that, yeah, I remember specifically that it is that adrenaline and that intense um, intensity that comes with that stage fright or that presence of about to be in front of people that has that, that edge to it, that sharp edge to it, that is what public speakers harness to be and act at the top of their game. So there's two sides to it, really. Do I do breathing techniques? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll do breathing techniques and I'll do it from my chair before it because I freak out. My wife always makes fun of me because I get super nervous. If, I've, if I'm speaking on a big stage, I won't sleep. I didn't sleep well last night. <laughs> I was up for like a couple hours right in the middle of the night and um, I'll have dreams sometimes. I, I, I get, I am, I, I'm not natural at, but some of the most famous speakers in the world that I learned, actually, they're puking backstage and they're frightened. And it's because of their ability to take that and harness it allows them every single time to be operating with that high peaking adrenaline at the top of their game. So part of it was embrace it, enjoy it. It's your body that's alive. It's got a fight or flight mechanism and it's, it's, in, it's rolling. And then try and focus and harness it. And so really it's accepting that. And then I, I've been actually advised by different people to breathe more and uh, to during podcasts and before podcasts uh, and to do like 15 minutes of breathing exercises before podcasts. So I end stages and I do it. I do it now fairly regularly as I feel my heart, feel my breath getting a little shorter, 100%. I like that. I remember my public speaking teacher, I her the the one thing i remember from her is is kind of similar of that but almost in the other way i guess she was like if you're feeling too antsy physically like shake out your arms and legs and she liked to to say and you say ew while you're doing it so you're like ew like get out of here bad bad vibes it's the only thing <laughs> i remember from that class that she taught us but i agree i feel like it's it's worked for me when i've been on on stage settings i play in a band and sometimes i'm like before the show i'm like all right let's get let's get these kinks out of here and then just walk out on stage you have a great time so i i like that i like harnessing the adrenaline. you know i i was a drummer growing up and i used to get i used to get um just stomach aches and my stomach turned to acid and i would you know i was i really struggled growing because i would play the drums big groups I'm, I'm not even the focus but same thing and even when i because i'm i'm doing a ted talk here coming up and when i pulled up the on the TED page, all the upcoming TED talks. And I was looking at the, just the thought of applying to them. I felt my stomach go. And then when I applied to my first one in La Jolla, I couldn't get myself to press the button. It was like, I was reviewing and reviewing and reviewing the app for TEDx La Jolla. I actually had my mom on zoom. I'm like, does it look good? She's like an editor. I'm like, okay, 
I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna hit submit. <laughs> I was just my, just the mere thought of, yeah. So it's, but that's what's so cool about it, you know, is that you get to go through life and you get to feel alive. You get to do these things which are challenging and it's not boring and it's so rewarding on the other side. I don't even have to do my engineering stuff. I loved it, but now I get to spend time with my family. Now we get, we're going to Hawaii for three months this year. Amazing. You know, we. Wait, there's there's a lot of lot of there's a lot to look forward to on the other side of breaking through those fears. I love it. I love it. I there's a, a writer friend I have, David Hawkman, who I, I believe he coined this term. If not, he introduced me to it at least, of the thumb slam, which is the same type of thing. It's like that that submission or that pitch or whatever that you've been sitting on for so long. Like as soon as you send it, you slam, you know, you I mean, I've I don't think I've ever actually used my thumb to hit send, but Maybe I yeah. start doing it, but it just <laughs> right. feels like a, a sense of accomplishment. You're like thumb slam, it's out there. Mm-hmm. And then the good stuff comes from it. And then there's the nap. Yes. When I got off the stage, I came back to the room and I took a nap. And then the cleaning maid woke me up. But <laughs> <laughs> there is a sense of peace after you've actually done it, right? Yes. Yeah. That's that's how you know it went well. If you can you can right. sleep easily after it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> All right, Patrick, you're almost off the hook here, but we always like to wrap up with a top three and i don't think we've mentioned this on air but you you like the outdoors you're you're into adventure sports you're into traveling all of that good stuff so what are your top three outdoor activities so i was raised on the south side of yosemite national park i went to yosemite high school we actually bounced around quite a bit i was actually born in florida or uh, italy lived in florida for a minute but um i'd pick italy over those two i think (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but so I was exposed to a lot of stuff that carried forward in my life. And I mean, we, I did a lot of backpacking and mountaineering, which extended to climbing to the Everest Base Camp, Fuji, done Shasta. We hiked John Muir Trail for 24 days, 240 miles, done a lot of really cool stuff. That, ex- that also grew into uh, uh, whitewater rafting, did a ton of that. Did, we did the Grand Canyon. That was insane. I mean, that was like nine days. It was out of this world amazing um and uh well there's there's what would be the one of the top next five <laughs> probably spearfishing i think we, more than so than kite surfing but because we moved to hawaii i mean we the, we were at lani kai and there was nothing but you know reefs and i run every morning i started running with my with my snorkel and it was only a matter of time before I learned that some of those fish are evasive and, <laughs> and you can spear them. And I was like, wow, I'm going to start running with my snorkel and my spear. And I learned how to spear fish. And um, that was a lot more, that was a lot easier than kite surfing. <laughs> so I'm going to go, I'm going to go with spear fishing over kite surfing. I like it. I like it. Is it difficult to run with a snorkel and a spear? Yeah. I, I would, so I got one that actually collapses. Mm, nice, nice. Yeah. So, so, and it, though I don't recommend that necessarily, uh, but so it was a triprong, those, those, the sling, Hawaiian sling, where there's a bar with a sling on the end. Okay. So it wasn't like a full on gun, right? And mine screwed together. So uh, that one, it's not so difficult uh, because you've got the snorkel and spear in one hand. And, but you're living in Hawaii. So, I mean, <laughs> why not? I mean, it's not that big of an inconvenience. And it makes snorkeling an adventure, right? I mean, it's beautiful at first. But now you're literally hunting in these, you know, shallow reefs. It's a whole whole different thing. And you're doing it like I'm doing this at like Tuesday morning, you know, and that's my exercise. <laughs> so yeah, it's um 
it's worth it. Ah, oh, sounds sounds magical, especially on those beaches too. Hawaiian beaches are just gorgeous, gorgeous all around. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. If people, we've been talking about all the different great resources you have. In case people are somehow just tuning in, even though it's a podcast, or they need to hear it again, where can they find you? Uh, invest on Main Street. Invest on, and then Main, and then Street, all spelled out, dot com. Uh, we have investments at the top. We have our new recessionary acquisition fund. It's probably my passion. We got acquisitions six and seven coming up. Um, just wild, awesome time to be investing in these kinds of and those kinds of deals. I've got a book. I'm happy to offer a, a, a copy to your listeners if you'd like. Absolutely, yes. You can enter GPCT as the code and get a free book. GPCT. Yeah. So that that is uh, investonmainstreet.com/book, and then that's the secret link. Um, and if you put that promo code in, then my team will know you're not a random. And if you stay to the end of this podcast, you get a we ship it for free. I sign them and happy to contribute to your life. We, it's really cool. I've got persistence, pivots, and game changers, turning challenges and opportunities. It's got a bunch of really cool stories. Actually, the lead guitarist and Def Leppard, Phil Collins, did a chapter, NFL, NBA players, coaches, entrepreneurs, did cha- and it's just so many great. I tell my whole story, and that was the first time I got my story out there. And I was, I even talked about my failures. And I talked about, I was, first time I was, totally out there, ripped that bandaid off, had a writing coach help me, you know, pry it out of me, but happy to share it with your listeners. If they want to go to invest on mainstreet.com slash book, uh, put in your information and anybody, wherever you're at in your journey, if you're like, yeah, I get it. I'm frustrated with, you know, my rentals or I'm frustrated with my, uh, investments and my financial planners got me all in one kind of thing. And, uh, set up a call. There's no harm. I mean, I, I, I love to talk with investors. It's one of the things I love right there on my, my webpage slash contact, or you can click, you, there's a book, a meeting is all over the place on the, on the webpage. And I'd be happy to have time, uh, spend some time chatting with you and uh, just kind of understand your goals and, and get you pointed in the right direction. It's one of the luxuries I have now because you know, I'm not slaving away doing machine design anymore. So uh, I bet you've yeah, still uh, got some tinkering going on here and there. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah awesome we'll drop the links in the show notes as well so you don't if you're listening you don't have to frantically write everything down we got you covered there patrick thanks you thank you oh goodness let's try that again patrick thank you again this was super helpful i know i learned a ton and i'm sure a lot of people listening did too and definitely recommend checking out the book so we got you covered thanks for coming on the show yeah thanks so much i enjoyed it very much Absolutely. And we got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. I was just talking with my friend. He collects bees and he ordered a dozen from a company, but they sent him 13. He said, why did they give me an extra? And they said, it's a freebie. (laughs) Get after it today, people. (laughs) Wow. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Ooh.